This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. The Conservative Connection. Come on, man. All right, here we go. So, my opponent will be joining me shortly. Welcome back to the Conservative Connection. My name is Andreas Kromack. I will be your your host for this evening. And this is actually the first live uh, video de- debate and vi- video podcast I've ever done. So, I'm very excited. And uh, we're going to be doing things shortly. And I'm, j- I'm just going to wait for my opponent to arrive. This debate will take about 36 minutes, um, and yeah, it'll be about 36 minutes. I will be in the affirmative, he will be in the negative. It will be a Lincoln-Douglas style debate. For those of you who do not know, a Lincoln-Douglas style debate is a debate in which the opponent can cross-examine, but we cannot interrupt each other. So it's a structured debate. It's been uh, it's a debate that's been going on for a long time. Miliano, I see you. Um, anytime you're ready, just give a request to be in. If you're having any trouble, just let me know. I will let you in. Just going to write down a few notes here. There we go. All right, sir, I've let you in. See how this goes. There you are. How are you doing? How's it going? Good, good, good. First of all, can you hear me loud and clear? I can hear you right loud and clear. I'm just putting a do not disturb on. I don't want a, a phone call in the middle of our call. So if you have anything, Perfectly just do fine. the same. I actually all right. I so, just did that. Yeah, exactly. So everybody. This is my guest. His name is Emiliano Sanchez. He previously interned with YAF. He is currently studying political science. He is a former member of Model United Nations, who has represented the, and he's represented the U.S. He's also represented Japan and Vietnam in a number of various international I- issues. Follow him at Instagram at Emiliano underscore I underscore Think. All right, sir. Are you ready? Yeah, just about as ready as I'll ever be. Yep, I think. So we will have the first official affirmative construction, which will be seven minutes. Then we'll have cross-examination from Emiliano to myself that will take about three minutes. We'll have an eight minutes negative. Then we will have a cross-examination of the negative by the affirmative. That would be me cross-examining you. We have a first affirmative rebuttal for about four minutes, and then we have a negative rebuttal about seven minutes, finishing up with a final second affirmative rebuttal at four minutes. All right, I'm going to get the clock started, and we're going to begin. All right. Just get my notes here ready. And I will meet myself, right? Are you ready, sir? Yes, yes, I'm ready. All right. Starting the clock now. Now, many people know that Roe versus Wade is now on the table because of a uh, decision by. Justice Samuel Alito in a first draft. You've probably no doubt seen many people discuss this issue, not just myself. And the question that many people have it is a question that this abortion debate always goes back to. And the question is, when does life begin? But more than when does life begin, who has the authority to say when life begins? And who are people most likely to listen to? So there was actually a PhD student at the University of Chicago, and his name was Steve Jacobs, and he was getting his PhD, um, and he was chose to write his dissertation on abortion. The faculty wouldn't help him because they didn't want the public pretty much to know what he found. He surveyed about 2,899 American adults and wanted to figure out this question, who has the authority in most people's minds to determine when does life begin? So he asked 
these 2,899 Americans, and 83% of them said academic biologists are the highest authority to answer that question. Now, academic biologists that Steve Jacobs decided to academic biologists are what most people consider to be the defining authority in this survey. So he said, let's take it one step further. Let's go to about 5,502 academic biologists across the world to answer the question, when does life begin? 95% of academic biologists globally in this study said that life begins at the moment of fertilization, a.k.a. Conception. The other 5% answered with honest answers, and I, I, these are exact quotes. Sure hope you aren't an effing Christian. Is this a study funded by Trump and the KKK? And I believe this is a horribly manipulative study, and its end is to support the religious patriarchal abuse of women's rights that has gone on for way too long. So obviously these people were very diehard in their positions, but the factor still remains that 95% of global academic biologists globally say that life begins at conception. And Justice Blackman, who, put, who penned the decision for Roe versus Wade, said himself that if there was any evidence that a human life was no, indistinguishable from a person in their genetic code or in what made them a human being, the argument for Roe versus Wade would fall apart. And we are slowly seeing that today. Now, at conception, the genetic code for a human being is indistinguishable from any American adult or any adult uh, globally. There is no difference between a genetic code in a, 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 an adult versus a concepted life. This is the study that people have, and it's mainly uh, what people have a problem with. And there's a lot of different discussions on the philosophy of certain things like rape or incest or sexual abuse. And that is a topic that is going to come up. But more so than that, we've discovered that, and, and this, this breaks my heart to discuss because rape is something that it should be, it, it is one of the most underreported crimes in America. It, it breaks my heart. I recently saw a, a movie called Promising Young Woman over this where they discuss this topic of rape and incest and sexual abuse. But as I was studying, I found out that with many cases, what will end up happening in a Planned Parenthood is that somebody will be abused and then their abuse will be covered up in a Planned Parenthood. So even in the cases of sexual abuse that many people want to go to, even though it only makes up about 0.5% for incest and 1% of all abuse cases make up abortions, what will end up happening is in many cases, the, the abuse will be covered up in order to get the abortion. In 2017, there was a man named uh, George Savannah who had a daughter. He impregnated three different times when she was 14, when she was 16, and when she was 18. And what ended up happening was Planned Parenthood um, did not report or ask any questions concerning this situation. And she was brought to the abortion clinic every time. Uh, one of the things that people overlook about Planned Parenthood and its role in abortions is that many times it will actually cover up for sexual abuse. There's multiple cases of, of fathers of people in incest cases and everything else. But also, Roe versus Wade has also been used to justify late-term abortions to the point where the NIH um, – last year was actually discussing funding for a, a program where they would actually take a a delivered baby who was 22 to 23 weeks old and harvest organs for them in order to use for their studies. I am going to be talking about sensitive cases and sensitive issues. Obviously, this is an abortion discussion. But the, the topic of when a life begins and what constitutes a human life is the basis of this argument and both sides have their qualms with it, but you will not find a single study on the other side that will argue against the scientific fact that life begins at fertilization and conception. There is, there is no wide consensus on the other side of when life begins. And when we come to Roe versus Wade and talking about this issue, I, I would like to hear a, a goal of 
an answer to that question of when life begins, because very rarely do I ever hear it from the other side. And I want to, and this is a scenario and it's a sensitive scenario for women and the child in which the pro-life answer is to love them both. We need to do better in caring for the other people in our society. And we need to do and have the responsibility of answering the call for people who are unfortunate in this scenario or need help. And that's a call that we need to answer. So that is basically the argument of the pro-life side. If you have an innocent human life that begins at conception, then it, by the very founding of this country for the for purposes of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, then that life cannot be taken away. Thank you. All right, and that moves on to your cross-examination. Okay. Um, have you started the timer? Um, I, yeah, I've, I've got a timer right here. You just tell me when you're ready, and we can go. Okay. Um, my list of questioning, would, I think, might be rather short. Just go ahead. You have uh, uh, direct answers. Um, first of all, and this is more of a general question, do you tend to value, let's say, taking a moral stance um, in terms of representing something that you believe in, whether whether or not the consequences you get are desired? Do you value that more than actually yielding better results? Do you think that symbolically standing for something moral is more important than actually obtaining something more when it pertains to life anything life i'm not sure i guess what you're asking me is that do i view standing for life to be important enough that it um it's somehow i i don't care about the the results of where it leads is that the is that the question uh, that seems like a sloppy phrasing on my I'm part. Let me see your phrase. The question, I'm sorry. Yeah. So would you, do you value standing for life over any other alternative, which might not necessarily stand for your life? For, sorry, might not necessarily stand for life in your moral point of view, even though it might actually obtain better results in preserving life. My answer is that it, without the right to life, none of the other rights that we have exist. And as the founding right and the founding principle of a human rights issue, I believe that we need to stand for life in order for any other rights to exist or anything else in a society. Right. Okay. Um, with that being said, to what extent would you be willing to go to, to protect the lives of the unborn to, would you be willing to pay more in taxes? Would you be willing to, have your personal or even national economic situations take a hit in order to preserve the unborn? Yes, um, I would be willing to see where protecting the unborn leaves because, again, as I said, with life being the fundamental right of a free society, I believe that it needs to be protected and that it is always wrong to take an innocent human life. Okay, so you believe that protecting lives and minimizing any form of death or violence is more important than, let's say, tax rates or anybody's financial situation? I'd say protecting life is the most important um, issue that anybody could be fighting for, bar none. Okay. Uh, do you support the expansion of healthcare, sex education, and contraceptives in the United States? I, I see no problem with... Uh, contraceptives for people i in my personal view um i believe somebody should wait to get married but i also believe that married couples could use contraceptives but yes absolutely if if people want to use contraceptives now unfortunately sometimes contraceptives fail so i think that abstinence should also be seen as a legitimate option although it's not often um taken and i don't think that in the sexual education we should have somebody who promotes sex um to people who, especially if they're in a situation where they might not be able to afford a baby and the, and the contraceptions fail. As, as my buddy okay. Rob once said, um, you know, a, a woman asked them, are people in poverty 
not supposed to have sex. And he said, I don't think if you're in poverty, sex is something you should be focused on. Right. Okay. So with the contraceptive answer, you believe that it should be an option, even though you're not personally in favor of it outside of marriage. Yes. What about healthcare and sex education? Do you think that should be expanded or made more widely available specifically to people within low income communities? Uh, I, I see no problem with uh, contraception being used by people of a lower income. However, I would warn that if you are of a lower income and contraception fails, um, you need to be prepared for that. And, you know, as, as you know, um, even on your side, an, an abortion is not a cheap procedure. It's something that ends up costing a lot of money, um, like of potentially thousands. Um, so in the, in the case, I would say, yes, I would be in favor of if you are going to have sex outside of marriage, it would be better off if you did use contraception. Okay. But so I suppose my question is, would you support the expansion of contraceptives in terms of having free and available contraceptives? I mean, uh, you, you can get a, a box of condoms at a at a truck stop for about like four or five bucks. I, I don't think the availability of contraceptions is really the problem. So you don't believe that the availability of contraceptives is the problem? Okay. No. Um, can I ask? Can I get a time check since I know you have to watch? You have about. Five, I extended it about two minutes because the first question. So, um, if you want, we could end the uh, questioning at five minutes. Um, I will also get five minutes to question you, or we could extend it if you'd like. Oh, uh, how far has it been? As of now, it's, it's been, it's been about months. two minutes over. So you had five minutes. I, I would have five minutes to question you. Okay. Um, I'll wrap it up with like two more if that's okay. All right. Um, but I will get the same amount of time. Um, just to let you know. Completely fair. All right. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Sorry about that. That's You're a good. Bit of a confusion with the beginning question. Okay. So if, Sorry, I got sidetracked for a second. Yeah, let if me, there were a start the clock until you start your next question, just to be fair. I'm good. I'm ready. So would you agree that not within your ideal world, but if we were to ban abortion, whether within a select few states or federally, as things stand now in terms of sex education, contraceptives, um, adoption or abortion alternatives, would you agree that there would be a good deal of women or young couples or just couples in general? who would suffer as a result of no longer having abortion as an option. Suffer in what way? Mentally, financially, physically. I believe that in my studies that I've concluded that a person tends to suffer more mentally and physically from an abortion than they would if they had their child. And even if it, it was a scenario in which the mother was better off or a person was better off in my in my opinion and in my humble opinion even if you were to take the life of an innocent human being and your life would be better off it would still be wrong so no i would not be in support of that like let's say oh, no, i'm just okay yeah let's just assume if, that if you did take somebody's life your life would be better off would that justify it then my answer would be no. right i understand um just setting the life question aside just talking about pure human suffering. If there were a way to, and this is the last question, sorry. If there were a way to minimize or reduce the amount of abortions that happened in the United States, while also keeping the amount of human suffering, both for unborn and parents, to a minimum, would you support that? If there were an alternative outside of banning abortion to well, lower the number of abortions and minimize human suffering, would you be in favor of that? Um, if, if I had a choice between banning abortion federally, which I know politically will not happen, or uh, minimizing it, I would ban it outright because I believe that, again, you can't take innocent human life. Um, but am I always in favor of reducing the number of abortions? Yeah, absolutely. I'm somebody who's unapologetically pro-life. So if you had an option that would reduce the number of abortions, I, I'm always going to take it. Okay. That would conclude my uh, cross-examination. All right. So that was about seven minutes and 15 seconds. So I will have that amount of time to question. And then you will move into your negative, sir. And you will have about eight minutes uninterrupted. And I'm going to mute myself. Um, I don't, yeah, I can mute myself. So I'm going to mute myself. And again, everybody, just because somebody is not uh, responding during this period does not mean that he agrees with me or I agree with him. It, it is simply the rules of the debate. So you will have eight minutes interrupted, sir. Uh, you just give me a thumbs up when you want me to start the timer. I will give you. Okay. I will give you a finger up 
um, to show you your time is done. And then I will um, interrupt if I feel you've gone too far, but I will give you an opportunity to finish your point. All right. You tell you give me a thumbs up. You're good. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. Well, based off of not only your answers, but sort of everything I've collected beforehand, it seems that your position is life begins at conception, that there's no doubt about that. Preserving human life is the ultimate goal. And one's personal or financial convenience is less important than someone's right to life. And of course, you promoted abstinence education. I would like to start off by saying that the states with the highest rates of unplanned teen pregnancy are all red states, which tend to more heavily emphasize abstinence education, which tend to have less comprehensive sexual education and harder access to contraceptives. And it's been shown time and time again that abs abstinence only sex education does not work. It does not prevent people from having sex. People are almost always going to have sex in any given society. I would say always in any given society. And the other states with the lowest amounts of teen pregnancy are the ones with more scientifically based, more honest sexual education, not really having a bias on you should not have sex until this or you should wait until marriage. You know, obviously wait until you're comfortable and until maybe you're old enough, but it's, it's not placing any sort of moral weight on having sex. And those ones have the lowest amount of teen pregnancies, lowest amount of unplanned pregnancies in general. In terms of contraceptive access, that is very heavily related to sex education. And so is the issue of sexual assault and or incest, because there have been several studies that have shown that students with a comprehensive idea of what sex is are more likely to report being sexually abused by a parent or other adult because they understand what is being done to them. They understand that it is wrong and they feel more comfortable coming out about it versus areas where children are kept in the dark about sex or told to wait until marriage or have just been sort of implemented into a dogmatic society where everything's very hierarchical, they are much less likely to report it and it is much more likely to continue. And you said you would be in favor of banning abortion outright because you think that that stance for life is more important than anything else where a world, you know, might not have that long place. And I will go ahead and grant you that, sure, life begins at conception. I mean, it's alive in, in that sense. I mean, I won't deny that. I won't deny that it's human because it obviously is. What I'm going to say, and this is sort of a question that you could answer whenever it's your next time to speak, do you believe that life and personhood are the same thing? Um, and with that in mind, medically speaking, if you think life begins at conception, then a fertilized egg or a zygote is life. It is a life. It is a human life, even though it's obviously not fully formed. But anywhere between, uh, sorry, anywhere between, where is this that? One third and one half of fertilized eggs um, do not implant. All right. They, um, they don't attach to the endometrium and they just pass right through and come out as a heavy flow period. So if that were the case, do you support finding ways to minimize that? Because in, in that sense, those are hundreds of thousands of human lives that just simply pass through after somebody has sex and they might not even notice that it was a fertilized egg. And that's part of the natural process. Would you support greater access to healthcare um, for people in lower income? Because having a healthier lifestyle would minimize the amount of fertilized eggs that pass through after sex, although it would not reduce it to zero. Uh, I would wonder why is there so much more outrage towards abortion and people who are trying to, I would believe, sort of control their own life and their own situation. Why is there so much outrage toward that and not the amount of fertilized eggs that actually pass through? I think, and I'm not attributing this to you because I don't wish to come off any sort of ill will, but I think a lot of Republican politicians are catering to the idea of banning abortion because they know a lot of their base is in support of it, even though they personally probably don't care. And their family is going to be able to get abortions. Anybody they know or anybody in the upper class will be able to get abortions, whether or not it's legal in their state. This is mostly targeted towards lower class people and uneducated or not uneducated, but lesser educated people. Would I be able to get a time check just so I know how much time I have? You can just signal with your hands. Five minutes. 
Okay. I have three. Okay. Five minutes gone, three minutes left. Understood. Okay. So with all that in mind, I would say even if we grant that a zygote or a fetus or a fertilized egg or a unborn human baby as a person, I would ask you this. Why do you value their minimal and lack of experience life over the bodily autonomy of the carrier? That's, that's more of what it is. Cause I won't deny that, that, that it, they are alive. I will say that it is immoral to have somebody against their will carry a baby to term when it is very physically taxing. It is very financially taxing because I, I believe it costs, I have my notes on $13,000 to have a baby in the United States because, you know, our healthcare system is atrocious. $13,000 to have a baby vaginally and through C-section is about $22,000. So you're putting them through great financial burden, great physical burden because carrying a pregnancy to term can have unknown complications on the body of the mother. And just great mental turmoil if it is a baby that they do not wish to have. And mind you, there is a difference between an unplanned pregnancy and an unwanted pregnancy. One might be unplanned and they're like, the parents might get afraid. It's like, what are we going to do? We weren't planning for this. But if at the end of the day, they decide to go through with it, that is their decision. If it is unplanned and they decide they don't want it and they continuously do not want the pregnancy, yet the state forces them to carry it to term, that is a very different issue. And I'll leave you with this, and I'm sure you've heard something similar to this before. Imagine a situation where you are driving with a friend, and you're driving rather recklessly. Or no, no not even recklessly. You're just, you're just somewhat inattentive, but you're not breaking the law in any way. And something happens, any form of accident, and you are hit. Your car is hit. You wake up in the hospital, and your friend is in critical condition. You are, by and large, fine, besides maybe some grazing bruises. And the doctors have hooked you up to your friend. Uh, I don't know, let's just say your blood donation, kidney dialysis, just any sort of example. And you are keeping your friend alive. Mind you, it was your inattentive and poor driving that led your friend to be in this condition. So it was your doing. But you didn't break the law. You just didn't react quickly enough. You made a poor decision. But other than that, you didn't break the law. If you said that you do not wish to be attached to your friend for the next nine months, and mind you, you would foot the medical bill as well. If you did not wish to be attached to your friend any longer, do you think the government should punish you for that? I'm not saying that your friend is not a person. I'm not saying that their life doesn't matter. I'm not even saying that it's not your fault that they're in this situation, because let's say it is. Do you think that you do not have the bodily autonomy to say, no, I don't want to be hooked up to these machines for nine straight months, and I do not want to have to pay this bill? Should the government be allowed to not only force you to keep that on, but if you were to unplug yourself, would you be in legal trouble for that? Or should you be in legal trouble for that? I believe that is it for, I'll call my time now. That is your time. Uh, and I, I do appreciate you staying within the house. Um, very good questions that I can answer. I, I wrote a lot of them down. I'll probably answer some of them in the affirmative rebuttal. Um, at this point, okay. my cross-examination, and I just want to go um, and say that because you did have seven minutes and 15 seconds to cross-examine me, which I granted you, I will also grant myself the same amount of time. Completely fair. All right. So you granted a, um, a, a point that most people don't always grant, and, and you said that life does begin at conception, but then you started to ask the question of do – whether or not I believe um, a person, personhood is the same thing as a life. Uh, I, I just want to know what exactly do you believe about personhood? When do you believe a life is a person? If that was the point you're trying to make, and I would like to ask you to elucidate what point you were trying to make. Okay. So as to what I believe about personhood, if I'm going to be completely honest, I don't have a straight answer to that. And I don't think, I think anybody who comes at you with affirmative act of, with an affirmative answer of what personhood is or when it begins should be listened to with not even a grain of salt, like a pound of salt, because that is a philosophical answer that people have been pondering for thousands of years. And if somebody claims that I have the answer to when personhood begins or when someone is or isn't a person, that just sounds extremely arrogant. But I would say that for the most part, most people could agree that a fetus or a baby who has not come to term has not achieved many of the 
philosophically agreed requirements to be considered a person. Okay. Um, right. at, are you aware at what point a heartbeat um, appears within the pregnancy? Um, I could be wrong, but if I remember correctly, is it about six weeks? It's about five, it's about five and a half to six weeks. So you're five and a half. Okay. Although it, it can be detected in some rare cases as early as 22 days after fertilization. Um, I would ask if you are stopping another person's heartbeat, do you think somebody else has a right to do that? And why would they have the right to do that? Well, again, if we're assuming that this fetus is a person, if we're assuming the unborn baby is a person, which is again, very variable. If I'm granting you that stopping another person's heartbeat by, for most cases, I would say it's immoral. If you are not actively stopping someone's heartbeat, but you are refusing to use your own body and your own energy and will to support that heartbeat, I'd say that's different than killing somebody. All right. Um, so you said if we're assuming it's a person, but you, you don't have a straight answer when it is a person. Is that correct? Yeah, I don't. Okay. Would you view that somebody who does not have a straight answer of when it is a person, would you view that as logic, as inconsistent? Or what would you say to somebody who says that's an inconsistent form of logic if you don't have a standard for one life? Um, inconsistent when compared to what? Uh, compared to an answer of having an answer of one life begins, because if you do have an answer of one life begins, then you can say this is the line we draw. This is the cutoff point. But if you don't have an answer of one life begins, then uh, do you have an authority to say that you can't end that life or you can end that life? Well, I mean, I would say even if we have a definitive answer when life begins, I would not say that life and personhood are the same thing. I mean, life on Earth began about, like I believe, 3.7 billion years ago. We could say that a, a zygote is alive, but that might not necessarily be a person. Okay. What we do know for sure as a person is the parent, the mother, the carrier. We do know, and I think we could both agree that that is undoubtedly a person. Yeah, love them both is a I think philosophy. Almost everybody can agree. Um, so I would say, uh, so, but what is the standard of personhood? Because you can't say, can you actually definitively say, and this is where I was going out with the logic consistency, can you definitively say somebody isn't a person if you can't define what a person is? I can define some characteristics that I think we can agree might prescribe personhood Okay. in terms of social ability, maybe intelligence, higher reason. If we're talking about a fully grown pig, they are miles more intelligent and more social than a fetus, or even a newborn baby. Yeah, I'm assuming you eat pigs. Okay, so if you're comatose, can I stab you? If I'm comatose, then what, in a coma? Are you a person if you're comatose? By that, you mean in a coma, right? Not brain a, dead? Yes, yeah, you're in a coma, um, and you, you, can't, you can't depend on your own without the, the use of a machine. You need, you need people to make sure that you have enough fluids. You need people to make attend you to make sure to take care of you. Yeah. Are you considered a person? I would say, well, I have previous experiences. I have a 23 years of life experience under my belt. I have relationships. I have friendships. I have family. I have been well-established as a living, breathing person. And assuming I wake up from this coma, I could hopefully continue that life. So I don't think that's rather analogous to a fetus, which has no attachments, no history, no memory. Okay, granted, let's say you're- No a, experiences. Let's say you're a day old and there was a complication in your comatose. Are you a person? Am I a person? That is a tough one. I would, I would be willing to grant, let's say if you were to say I was a person, I might say yes, simply on the fact that I would be able to grow and develop without the attachment, without the direct attachment of another human being. And by that, I mean a specific other human being. If I were in a coma or if I were a newborn or a toddler. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I obviously am very dependent on someone or something, but it is not one specific person who has to be the one to carry me the term. 
any other doctor, any other individual can be the person taking care of me. It is not that I am directly attached to you. Okay. Um, you said that you thought it was cruel for somebody who was maybe abused to have to carry a baby to turn. I was curious, do you have a personal cutoff point for when an abortion should occur? And um, if somebody uh, was not abused, would you be in favor of banning that abortion? Okay. So if somebody was not abused, personally, most studies have shown that an abortion is viable or not abortion. I'm sorry that a baby is viable outside of the womb rather usually around 28 weeks. And if they are able to live viably outside of the mother at that point, personally, I wouldn't have a problem with banning abortion at that point or, you know, having a sort of induced labor, extracting the baby and proceeding from there with either healthcare or adoption. Sorry, I have something my at the moment. No, you're good. I'd be okay with that. Um, in terms of sexual assault or forced pregnancy, I don't think there should, in terms of limiting abortion, I don't think there should be any unless they determine, okay, this baby can live outside of the womb. If we can extract the baby, have it live outside without a problem, I'd be okay with that. Because I'm not in love with the idea of getting abortions. I just think that the negative is worse than the positive. Do you think there should be a cutoff for when abortions occur, like in Europe or in other foreign countries? I think, I don't even think we should approach that question unless we have a reliable social safety net, um, accessible healthcare and contraceptives and reliable sex education because we rank terribly compared to the European countries in all of those aspects. So I think that's why they're much more reliably able to have lower abortion cutoffs because people have much less of a financial burden. They have much lower rates of unplanned pregnancies. But as and policy is concerned. As far as policy, I don't think we should have that again until we have those other things secured. Because I don't think it's fair to have somebody who is going to face unknowable difficulties that even you and I will never notice because we're dudes. So, so just any number of difficulties. I don't think we should put any bans on abortion until we have those in place. So, just to be clear, you have no stance on ever banning any kind of abortion at any point. I would say no stance until we can assure that people that people have a lot of other options outside of outside of that, unless you can. And I know it varies case by case whether or not a baby is viable, unless you can determine that this baby is viable now and getting the baby out would be rather uninvasive compared to an abortion. I'd be okay with banning it in that instance. But if you're talking about a nationwide or a broad ban about a specific cutoff point, I don't think you should put that in place just because it viability varies from case to case. And if people have so few other options, we should not be even thinking about placing that ban. So I, I have gone a, a minute over my time. So I will I will actually grant you. Um, I will actually grant you if you if there's any more questions you directly like to ask me because it sounded like there were a few. You you will have another minute and a half to ask me because I've gone over my time. Okay, we can place that on my next uh, on my rebuttal time. But I yep. believe we're going to be beginning your your rebuttal. Yes. All right. So. All right. Crossing the nation. My first rebuttal is going to be four minutes. You'll have a negative rebuttal of about seven minutes, and then I'll finish with the second rebuttal at four minutes. Okay. I will mute myself, and whenever you begin, just begin. Thank you. So the question is, unquestionably, we know that life begins at conception, but unfortunately, what I often hear with somebody who will admit that to me is the idea of uh, personhood and how that plays in. To me, whenever you start to separate a human life, an innocent human life, that's going to be fine as long as you leave it alone. Um, you start to separate that from what a person is. You, you can also apply that to certain other people. You can apply that to people who are comatose. The problem with things like viability is that viability is a moving target. And uh, what I don't understand about viability is if, if you were to leave the child alone, they would, they would be fine. Um, we've already established that they're, they're growing, they have their own organs, they have their integumentary systems, their lymphatic systems. They, they are, at six weeks, you can record brain activity. Um, and at 14 weeks, you have neurons firing. Um, any, any abortion that is done through a DNA process between the, between the weeks of 13 to 24, the body is actually so 
well developed and so strong that when um, the abortionist goes in with a sofa, he has to pull the baby apart limb from limb in order to try to get it out. And the the problem that a lot of people have, like because with the pro life side, we have a very clear stance of life begins at conception. Now, um, you asked a question that I wanted to address in this rebuttal, and the question was, should should somebody be able to carry a baby to term? that maybe they had through abuse or a a terrible situation, which again, I am an advocate for persecuting those people at the highest level of the law because it is something that is very underreported in America. They should be put away for life um, to the highest extent. And I personally give any sympathy to any person or woman who has gone through that situation because your life may never be the same and it probably won't be. But I like to take this situation and put it on myself. So let's say that I, I, I am married and my wife is sexually abused. And then one day um, she, is, she is sexually abused by somebody else who attacks her in the street. And then she gets pregnant. And then I have to determine whether or not it is my child or the abuser's child, the rapist kid. And um, the doctor tells me it's okay, it's fine. You, um, you don't have to worry, it's your kid. But then when the baby is born, a few weeks later, I get a call from the doctor, and the doctor tells me, I'm so sorry, we made a mistake, it's actually the rapist kid. Can I end that life? And the answer is no, I can't. Because when you view it as a life, the entire situation changes. And I, I can't end the life um, or... Uh, tell tell my wife that I, I can end the life or in any case because again it is a human life and it's an instant human life that I can't take I would probably give it up for adoption but I would not view it as my right to end that life and I, I know it's a it's a tough situation it's a very tough situation and people should be there to support it and also what I would also like to include is there was a previous point that um, it kind of alluded to the fact that life is more important, but in actuality, the pro-life movement does care about women who have their kids and then maybe can't uh, provide for them. There are pregnancy crisis centers that all across the nation that will help a woman who has a two, three-year-old um, and provides formula and babies and di- uh, baby materials and diapers and baby food and all these other things to them. And an abortion clinic will just simply take a woman's money and then dump her on the street. There's no counseling. There's no help afterwards. So unfortunately, it increases their risk also from the traumas, about 81% of developing a mental health issue. And many, many different women have different traumas over this. And it's a terrible, terrible thing for, for women. But it, it's some, an area where I don't understand why the abortion community is considered more helpful when the pro-life community does so much work in their foster parents and they help care for these kids and yet they're ignored that's my time okay uh you made a few points um i believe i have seven minutes initially and was there some added time to that I'll, i'll give you an extra 30 seconds Okay, completely fine. Um, so let's let's start with what you said about the development of a, of an unborn fetus with the physiology of them, with the brain activity. I'm not denying any of that. I fail to see how that's entirely relevant beyond any argument from disgust or pathos of looking at something. I don't see it as much more differentiable, and I don't want you to think that I'm comparing babies to animals, but I don't see it as much different from a vegan using the slaughtering techniques of animals as a case to get you to stop eating meat. You know, it might be disgusting. It might even be morally apprehensible, but I fail to see how there's anything beyond that. We agree whether or not we know for a fact that the mother is a person, whether or not the unborn baby is right. And getting past the technicalities of how abortions are performed, how disgusting or even apprehensible they might seem. We know that it is something that, at the end of the day is affecting one person the most and one person only. I do find it pretty interesting that you said in the hypothetical analogy of your wife being assaulted, of course, God forbid. Um, I do find it interesting that you made the point that you would likely give the baby up for adoption if you were to find out that it were not yours. And I noticed that during the pregnancy part of that story, you failed to mention what your, and I'm not trying to, 
place this in any ill will upon you, but you failed to mention what your wife would have thought or what your wife would have wanted. If she would have wanted to go through that strain, a potential reminder, constant reminder of what happened to her, if she were to go through that pregnancy, you didn't really mention what her point of view might have been. And you said, if you find out that the baby weren't yours, you would likely give the baby up for adoption, which I think is interesting because you think, okay, this is no longer my baby. I don't have attachment to it, but I'm not going to kill it. Obviously, you don't have the right to kill a baby because it is physically viable outside of your wife's body, and it does not rely on your wife specifically. Obviously, infants are extremely dependent on everyone or anyone, you know? But that can be done by a doctor. That can be done by a nurse. That can be done by a foster parent, an adoptive parent. That does not have to be done by your wife. If your, ba- if your wife were carrying the baby, still pregnant within her, it has to be her. It can't be anyone else. She is legally bound to having this baby, no matter what she might want to do, no matter what strain they might put on her, no matter what trauma it might continuously reinflict on her. It has to be her. She can't just say, here, you be pregnant instead of me. That's the main difference between an unborn baby and a born baby, a viable and unviable baby, is that somebody else can take care of the infant. And there are many other options. If the, if the mother is pregnant, it's completely dependent on her. And if you still think that she has to carry it to term, carry it to term, you are completely disregarding her right to bodily autonomy. That That is my main point on that. And then you mentioned charities about these health centers. And I certainly don't think that they're bad. Although I would ask how many of them might try to instill some sort of Christian values upon. And I don't want to say that they do. They may or may not. But I do think it is a bit coercive to try to instill Christian values on a woman who might be desperate and lost and in a time of need. You know, obviously not in the right mind. I think it's pretty coercive and somewhat somewhat might make them think that they should go along with it. Otherwise, they might cease getting the help. And I don't want to say that this is the case. But if, if they are if they are doing that, I would say that that is wrong. And I don't think that people's availability in terms of childcare, in terms of um supplies for their children, sex ed and contraceptives. I don't think that should, that should depend on how nice charities are able to be, how generous any rich person is feeling on a given day. I don't think it should be dependent on what's available within any given center. I think that should be guaranteed to every citizen. I mean, we are the richest country in, in the history of the human race. And we are outranked by so many other developed nations in all of these issues. It is honestly quite embarrassing. So, I think the fact that we have to depend on charities for that kind of stuff is atrocious and it should not be done. And I think given that having sex ed, having contraceptives shows to reduce abortion, I believe by, I had a note on that. It reduces abortion rates um, from anywhere to, let's see. I believe it was, 31%, 31%, it was it was a decent amount. I'm sorry, I can't find the note. And if you're truly willing to go through any financial burden to do that, I think you should be in favor of reallocating the national budget or increasing your tax rates to ensure that everybody has contraceptive and sexual education. And last point, I'm not sure how much time I have. Actually, can you tell me how many more minutes I have or if I'm over? I have three more? Okay, cool. Um, so for the most part, those are the main issues. And I think, again, any terms of someone comatose or somebody who is somebody who's um, extremely young, an infant or toddler, you're not dependent on one person's body and one person's body specifically. You are not violating one person's bodily autonomy by having that dependency. You can be allocated to anybody by that point. And I think that is the main difference. And we know for a fact that, that the mother and the carrier are people. And I think their bodily autonomy should be valued much more greatly over the over the unborn baby who is, while alive, completely dependent on her body, draining on her body, and whether or not it is even a person is completely abstract. I think we should value the certainty over the abstract. And, and I'm sure you'll answer it maybe at the end, but what I said, the example I gave about you driving with your friend, I, I am curious about your answer, whether or not you think you should be punished for saying no. And let's say you're the only person who can help your friend, either due to, I don't know, some really weird and rare blood type that you happen to share, or maybe you're in a hospital in the middle of nowhere and you can't really get anywhere else in time. Do you think the government should punish you for saying, no, I don't want to use my body for this and I don't want to have to pay for this? That is my main point, because I'm I'm willing to see that a, that a fetus is alive. I'm willing to 
concede that life might begin at conception. And I also want to reiterate the point I said about zygotes that pass through. Why why are they not treated as tragedies? Why why are you not constantly trying to look for better healthcare or ways to prevent those from happening? Are those not again lots thousands of people that pass through every day just through the natural process of sex and how how life passes through the fertilized zygote because it has its DNA, it is a person. Yet you don't hear anybody talking about that. So yeah, at the end of the day, I would say one person's bodily autonomy is the more important factor when it comes to dealing with someone who could maybe be called a person. One minute? Uh, or that, are you? That is your time, but because I went long and because it is a question section, I will give you Two minutes to additionally ask me any questions you might have. So you, you did have some questions you wanted to directly ask me, and I want to give you that opportunity. Okay. Um, I'll ask you straight up. You said, because you personally value life, that you'd be willing to go through whatever it takes to reduce the amount of abortions. Would you not want to have universal access to contraceptives and health care, which would greatly reduce the amount of abortions? Would you be willing to foot that bill on your taxes? I, I don't see a problem with uh, the availability of contraceptives when it comes to condoms and other things. I don't view abortion as a contraceptive method. That was oh, me neither. I'm okay. talking about I'm, I'm contraceptives just, to prevent pregnancy to begin with. No, no. I, to make abortions almost I, obsolete. If somebody's going to be having sex outside of marriage, I have no problem with them using contraceptive to, to prevent that. That is not a problem. Right, but would you be willing to make contraceptives much more accessible? Because you say you, you don't see a problem with their accessibility, but there is a great problem. What not only would, I, I can't just blanket support a policy of make them more available because that can mean a lot of things. I would need to actually see the policy in order to have an answer. Okay. What, what implications could that have that you wouldn't like? Well, I mean, uh, there are some... Uh, colleges and student not colleges there are some schools right now that teach contraceptive to kids who are in kindergarten i mean should my taxpayer dollars go to that because that would be uh, under that definition i'll be expanding the education of contraceptives so, uh, so what do you mean what do those schools teach to the kindergartners and how many schools are there is that is that a commonly used practice or is that more of a red herring it, no it's it's not a red herring you can actually look at how many uh Schools actually teach contraceptives to kids who are in first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. It's not something that I would support. It's not something my tax dollars would want to go to. And there's a whole nationwide movement against getting it out of the schools. And in fact, there was um, in Florida, there was an anti-grooming bill that was actually just recently passed by Ron DeSantis. So no, I would not want my tax dollars to go towards that. So that's why I'm saying, like, do I have a problem with adults using contraceptives? No, but do I have a problem with my tax dollars going to something like that? Yes. So I don't just blanket support a policy. I have to actually see what the specific. That's, that's fair. Um, what I would ask, although I would greatly disagree with what the anti-grooming bill means, or if it was even grooming, I would say it's not. But that's sort of a different issue. I disagree. On you stated earlier that the right to life is your priority, your number one priority, or at least your highest thing. And I'll grant it to you that they are. Let's say they're teaching vigorous sex ed and contraceptives to kindergartners which i don't think is the real situation i often think that is taken out of context but i would have to look at it but i'll grant you that point let's say hypothetically hypothetically um let's say that's the case i might be off you said yeah you you stated earlier that the right to life is the most important issue and you you'd be willing to pursue that no matter what yet teaching kindergartners about sex is where you draw the line so if even if contraception were to greatly reduced the amount of unplanned pregnancies and abortions, and it included that kindergartner bill, which I don't think it would, but let's say if it did, you wouldn't be willing to support it anymore, even though you stated earlier that the right to life is the most important thing to you. I don't believe you'd have to worry about kindergartners, first graders, second graders, or third graders having sex. And if you do, they're in an abusive situation. And again, I've seen yeah. with Planned Parenthood. Well, like I said earlier. Sorry. And they cover that up. So... Yeah, if, if you have any person trying to teach a child uh, about sex and it has nothing to do, like they, they completely cut their parents out of it, that by definition I view as grooming.
teaching them about sex, even though I stated earlier that having children with a comprehensive grasp of sex education makes them more likely to report sexual abuse, if more likely to stop sexual abuse from happening. If you're teaching a kid about sex and you're not telling their parents what they're teaching, that's grooming. That's my Can I ask how that is grooming? That's my answer. You just say, okay. Well, I noticed that I asked you if you'd be willing to pay for more contraceptive access and you immediately refer to an extreme case of kindergartners being taught about sex and saying you wouldn't be willing to support that. You're no. sort of pulling from the extreme. That's not what I said. I said I'd have to view what the policy is. Okay, well, let's say generally speaking, free access to contraceptives for adults and teenagers. Because we know teenagers are having sex, and let's not pretend we can stop that. Granted. And uh, if that could reduce abortions and unplanned pregnancy, would you be in support of that? I think the government is one of the worst allocators of money in, in the world, so no, I wouldn't be in support of them taking my tax dollars, more of them, to tell me that they are giving it for free condoms and contraceptives and different items. Okay. I, I think that if you can't afford five bucks for a box of condoms at a truck stop, you probably shouldn't be having sex. And I think that's a pretty, no offense, but a very ignorant stance to take because as if you're somebody in extreme poverty, and you're living day to day, paycheck to paycheck, and you come home to your wife or someone in a relationship, and you got to say, "Well, you're too poor to have sex. You're too poor to, you know, do what almost everybody else does." And if you get pregnant, that's on you, and that's a greater financial and physical burden because you have to pay the for the bill. You, you can't just tell people not to have sex, even if even if I agreed that you were 100 percent right that they shouldn't be having sex if they're poor, which I don't agree. But even if I granted you that, that would not work in the real world. That would never work in the real world. You can never just tell people. You're poor, don't have sex. You're young, don't have sex. It's not going to happen. Practically speaking, it doesn't happen. And I think morally speaking, it's not right. What, what I'm telling you is that if, if you're living in poverty, sex is not something you should be focused on. And that's something that, that's not a controversial thing for people to say. Because you could okay. greater risk. And again... We don't, both of us have agreed we don't like abortion. So we don't want to see somebody in poverty in that situation. Right. Well, okay. So if poverty is not what should they should be focused on, I'm sorry, if sex isn't what they should be focused on, what should they be focused on? They should be focused on getting out of poverty. How would they do that? There's a, there's, well, that's, we're, we're kind of moving the goalposts here, but you can get out of poverty. Um, one of the greatest anti poverty programs in the entire world is actually marriage but three things i will give and i'll grant this point i have i have granted you more time but i will finish with this um and my the three things that i would say is if you want to get out of poverty uh graduate high school don't have kids until you're married get a job if you do those three things by the brookings institute you are your, your chances of getting out of poverty skyrocket but notice one of the things i said don't have kids until you're married if you're in poverty and you do that it's going to be really hard for you to get out even if you do have an abortion, now you have physical trauma, and also an abortion could cost up to a couple thousand dollars, which you may not be able to afford anyway. So I don't view telling somebody who's in poverty, don't have sex, get out of poverty first, and try to focus on um, what, what you can do to better yourself. I, I don't think that's a controversial message. I also would say to somebody who um, does get out of poverty, even I think I, I don't think sex should be this gross itch we have to scratch i think we should be doing it with people we love in a more, a more meaningful okay. way my personal can i finish with one last answer i i have i have granted you um oh, okay that's a, fair quite a bit quite a bit um i'm not sure how much time i've gone because it was supposed to be um two minutes of questioning i i granted you seven so yeah well, are we on questioning because i know we've just been kind of going back and forth we were on questioning um and if you want after the debate we might just we might just go back and forth um, um okay but um this will be my uh my my personal time for a rebuttal but before i go i uh, before i do my last rebuttal what i want from you is i want you to um whatever questions that you had directly that you wanted me to answer since this is my last rebuttal in the end of the debate i want you to give them to me so that i can answer them directly because i don't want to ignore them so do you want me to give the, you the question yeah, yeah, yeah. 
what questions did you have for me that you wanted uh, re rebutted directly? Because there was some I didn't answer, but I'm trying to keep track. Okay. That's, that's fair. Uh, first question would be the analogy I gave you about you and your friend in the car accident. I'm sure you memorized that by now. If you have any further questions, just ask me. Second question would be, in a world without universal contraceptive access and without abortion, and you said those three things to get out of poverty, which I think are vastly oversimplified. I think you're oversimplifying the issue of poverty and oversimplifying how hard it is to get out of poverty, especially generational poverty. But if I grant you that, Let's say those three points are true. If you were to mess up one of those three points, do you think it is morally okay to have someone be doomed to poverty forever? They have no contraception, no access to abortion, and they have a kid outside of marriage. Now they're stuck in poverty and that kid is born in poverty and you believe that that is completely morally okay? No. Then, then why do you think it is okay to live? This, is, this will just be a follow-up you can answer. Live in a world where those are the three steps you have to follow to get out of poverty, and we shouldn't expand any access beyond that. I didn't say that. I said this is a statistical study from the Brookings Institute that shows if you do these three simple things, your chances of getting out of poverty skyrocket. Whether or not people agree that it's oversimplified or not is irrelevant to the fact that it worked, and it, it showed that by people's actions, people who did this were not in poverty. So I'm not saying that... It's a standard that if you messed up one or all of that, you should be doomed to poverty. I'm saying people who were able to follow those three steps are not in poverty. And there's a very big difference between the two statements. Okay. So, so I would hope that you'd want to expand it to where you could mess up one or two steps and get out of poverty. Anybody. I'll, I'll you with your time. We could continue back and forth after right. if we believe it's necessary. So... The, the first thing I wanted to ask, answer the question about my uh, my hypothetical wife, even though I know that um, um, what I said was one of the reasons why she would have the kid in the hypothetical scenario was because she thought it was mine. We both thought it was mine in the scenario. So it's not that I'm ignoring the fact that she what she's going through i would obviously be there to support my wife and the second thing is um if we already have the kid then there's really nothing that we can do if we already thought it was mine and we both wanted it that's a mutual agreement that's not me forcing anything on her so even in the hypothetical because i thought that was a little manipulative although maybe you might have misheard so i'll give you the benefit of it out there for the situation in which me and my friend this is the famous violinist scenario and i don't think it's i don't think it's the same thing as an abortion and it's very hard to find an analogy that comes close with an abortion because it's such a unique scenario but let's say it's an abortion scenario and it's a mother and her daughter and the doctors tell her if you just wait out nine months your kid's going to be fine if the mother stood up and said, I'm not waiting nine months for my son, that's time I'm never going to get back. And she unplugged her son from a uh, from a bed. I don't think she would be viewed as sympathetic. Um, and I don't think that would be the right thing to do. I would stick it out. If that was my friend, I'll directly answer your question. If that was my friend, I would stick that out because my friend's life would be so much more valuable to me than just nine months of time. But that's a personal scenario. Um, I don't want anybody doomed to poverty. I think I've already answered that. But we've already gone over that this being, this is a human being within the womb. It is growing. It is alive. It has a heartbeat. It has lungs. It has an integumentary system. It has a lymphatic system. It has a nose. It has eyes. You know, and you, you asked the question about the zygotes. I, I view a fertilized um, can, a fertilized egg, a fertilized ovum and sperm, when they unite, they create somebody by God's creation or by creation, if you're an atheist, where, um, that has never existed and will never ex exist again. It has a unique genetic code that will never go away. And I view human life as precious. I, I do not think you can stop another heartbeat and say that it is your body. If I was a bartender or if you were a bartender and a woman came in 
and she was three, four, five months pregnant, and you knew, and she asked for a whiskey or a vodka, would you serve her a drink? And if the answer is no, I would ask why, because why is it any different? Because what's happening is a form of cognitive dissonance. We want to wish this kid away as if he doesn't exist. But the truth is that it's not just a woman's body being harmed. So I reject the idea that it's bodily autonomy for the same situation as the bartender who doesn't want to give a pregnant woman a drink because that's not just her autonomy. He's affecting two other people. He's affecting the person inside of her. So for him to do that would be to violate um, that other person's bodily autonomy. And I know I'm a libertarian. I, I want most people to be left alone. The problem with an abortion is that there's one body that is not being left alone. And in this scenario of the bartender, that is one body that is being affected that is not being left alone. I think we need to reject pessimism. I, th I think it's time that we acknowledge that a human life is a human life. It cannot be taken away. It cannot be silenced. It should not be torn apart. It is a precious human life. It is a person. There, there is no, even if I were to grant you your argument, if you can't define what a person is, or if you have things that would cross over to what an adult person is, then I would say at least give it the benefit of the doubt. But for me, there's there's no doubt in my mind. This is a person. This is a human being. It is a living, growing human being. It's a human species, and it deserves the right to life, as we all do. And, and, and as far as viability there is not a single scenario in any of our lives where we were not helpless at one time and dependent on at least one other person. So I view viability as a, mu a moving target. So we're all helpless at one point in our lives. Just because we're helpless does not mean we're not alive. Just because we are helpless does not mean we are not people. And I think it's time that we acknowledge that fact. And I think it's time we embrace life. And with that, that, that is my time. Okay. Um, that does conclude our debate, but um, I would like to end this. I would like to save it, but if you want, if you're free, I would like to just have a non-structured period where we could just discuss the aftermath. If anybody has any questions in the comments section for my, for my guest, uh, feel welcome. And Because uh, I, I don't know how much time we have left on the stream. I know it cuts off after an hour, and I don't want to cut off mid midstream because we have gone yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I believe it's been over an hour, but maybe the new Instagram update allows for a longer live stream. Who knows? I, I don't want to take a chance for the episode, but I, I do oh, yeah. appreciate you coming on as a guest. I do appreciate you voicing. I will always give somebody a chance to voice their opinion in a debate. Um, I, I think you did that rather effectively, um, and I, I, you've been very respectful, and you've been a very good guest. And uh, if anybody uh, wants to follow him on it is Emiliano underscore I underscore uh, and please be respectful to him. He is my guest and I do want to thank you for coming on. And with that, um, that would conclude an episode, um, this episode of the conservative connection. I want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in or if you tune in later, I want to thank you for coming on. And with that, um, stay connected. Would you like to do an additional segment? I'd be willing to. All right. So I'm going to start up another live stream and then we will we will discuss uh, further. But anyway, thank you, everybody, for attending and listening. And as always, stay connected. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. The Conservative Connection. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.